In the social media application Twitter, if you go to settings and scroll down, you can set notifications so you receive new posts with a sound effect. You can also choose to turn that off. It's hard to imagine this sound effect is a catchy trend, unlike other trends that Twitter has set, like hashtags. The person who invented the hashtag was Chris Messina. In 2007, Chris was working for an internet consulting company in Silicon Valley. Twitter was brand new back then. There was some thinking about developing an organizing framework. He got the idea of using a hashtag, or pound sign as they were known at the time, from internet chat rooms that had a pound symbol in front of them. Chris pitched the idea to Twitter, but was told the idea was too nerdy. They looked silly. They'd never catch on. Chris was ready to give up, but on a whim, he asked a friend who was tweeting about a wildfire in San Diego to add hashtag San Diego fire to his tweets. And it caught on quickly. By 2009, Twitter added an option for users to search for hashtags. By 2010, users started tagging photos with hashtags. By 2013, Saturday Night Live with Justin Timberlake and Jimmy Fallon created a weird skit. Hey, Justin, what's up? Not much, Jimmy. Hashtag chillin'. What's up with you? It's been busy working. Hashtag rise and grind. Hashtag is it Friday yet? <laughs> <laughs> hey, check it out. I brought you some cookies. Hashtag homemade. Hashtag oatmeal raisin. Hashtag show me the cookie. <laughs> Sweet. Hashtag don't mind if I don't. <laughs> Pretty good. Hashtag getting my cookie on. Hashtag I'm the real cookie monster. Hashtag no 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 no. Delicious, right? Yeah. Hashtag I did it all for the cookie. Hashtag The trend blossomed eventually into more than a symbol. Hashtag Me Too. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Hashtag Make America Great Again. Hashtag Lock Her Up. What began as an effort to track metadata of tweets turned into a trendy way to see what's trending and eventually began to be used as a versatile and perhaps galvanizing tool for change. Following trends can get a bad rap. You don't follow trends, you set them. That's what all the pop memes tell us. But in reality, we're social animals and we like to follow trends. Today on Stories and Strategies, Trends in the Communications World with hashtag Michelle Garrett. My name is Doug Downs. My guest this week is Michelle Garrett, joining us today from Columbus, Ohio. Hi again, Michelle. Hello, Doug. Great to have you back. And for uh, for you, the listener, uh, welcome to season three. It's been a bit of space uh, between season two and season three. Uh, reason for that, in part COVID, uh, in part some, some personal health challenges that I had that uh, are, are still in recovery, but uh, are well underway in recovery. And then just work, which is kind of a good problem when you're when you're overloaded with work um, it takes time away from being able to do the podcast but we're back for season three and fully committed to it so that's why you've got this strange download suddenly um, I know we have quite a few followers that's why you've got this strange download uh, in your podcast directory today for season three Michelle you are a public relations consultant and writer your articles have been featured in entrepreneur muckrack Reagan's PR Daily and more, of course. You're the host of Hashtag Freelance Chat on Twitter, a co-host of Hashtag PR Lunch Hour on Twitter Spaces, and a frequent speaker at events including Content Marketing World, 
PRSA, and a lot more. Now, and you were recently ranked as number three on the PR Measurement Twitter Influencer Index published by Cometric and side by side with Ginny Dietrich, at, uh, who, by the way, is our guest in our next episode. So the two of you uh, will get to hear you side by side here on the podcast. And you were recently named one of the most influential tech PR professionals in the world, 2021 by Propel. Great to have you back, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me, Doug. I always enjoy uh, chatting with you. Likewise. Now, one thing about being a comms pro, Michelle, is the industry is never static. There are always changes, new trends. Um, you've captured many of the developing trends in your December 2021 newsletter. And one of those is this working from home thing. We kind of like it, huh? I think so. I mean, you know, a lot of people, I'm not going to say everyone likes working from home, but I think people, you know, who wanted to try it out have had an opportunity, you know, I mean, that's been one side of the pandemic that may be a positive for some people. I know some people are dying to get back to the office, but I think probably more uh, of them are really um, into the idea that they don't have to get in their car and commute. It saves them time. Um, you know, they are able to manage just their lives better when you have, um, you know, you're working from home. If you have a good setup, um, for example, I know, you know, some people kind of struggled with that early on when, in the pandemic, but I think that a lot of people now are starting to really see the benefits of working remotely. And I heard a statistic that one in seven jobs posted is now remote wow. uh, versus one in 67 jobs or something like that. So, And that creates that whole challenge for, for leaders um, of, of leading staff whom they've, they've never met. Uh, you know, so the trend will be getting to know people virtually as well. I think so. Um, you know, if you're a strong communicator, it's going to serve you really well. And I think... Um, as companies try to attract talent, playing up this idea that they will allow remote work will be a big part of that messaging. Uh, because, you know, I think a lot of uh, folks at least want the option. Maybe they don't want to do it, you know, all day, every day, but they at least want the option to be able to work from home. And I have been working long enough to remember when I had to strike out on my own and become my own boss in order to get that flexibility. So, I mean, I applaud it and I, I really hope companies will, you know, stay open to that even as we move, um, you know, maybe beyond the pandemic and, and so forth. Yeah. You, you and I both work as freelancers. Um, I've seen the benefit of that, not not just for me, but actually benefit to clients in particular in so many ways, um, uh, expertise. Also, when you hire a freelancer, they, they just tend to hunker down and get work done in a pretty tight time frame. Um, but it's another growing trend, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's so funny because I often say that I was freelancing before it was considered cool, you know, and now it's like everybody um, is looking at it. We were just talking about it on Twitter this morning. People are just tired of toxic workplaces and bad bosses. And um, I think that, you know, we can see if you look at statistics, you can see the growth in freelancing. I'm kind of curious to see if it will stay that way and continue to grow um, or if it will kind of um, even out, you know, as as uh, as we move forward here. But um, I mean, for me, I just think it makes so much sense, you know, just for my life. I have uh, 
you know, kids. I started out when my kids were before my kids were born and now they're teenagers, but it's a really great, um, flexible, you know, lifestyle. And then it's also great for the clients because, you know, I don't know about you, but I worked at an agency um, before I went out on my own and a lot of clients were being charged, you know, a lot of money because we had a fancy office. And, yes. You know, so I just think it makes a lot of sense for both sides. So that's interesting. Do you, do you think the trend will be more toward those agencies that still exist and, and can do some really good work sometimes mm-hmm. uh, or more toward... Um, uh, mom and pop isn't really the right phrase here, but the, mm-hmm. the, the smaller freelance individual operations, the solopreneurs. Mm-hmm. Well, what I've seen, and I have been a part of some of these teams as well, are freelancers kind of collaborating, coming together to work for clients, like bigger clients, for example. Um, you know, you can put together a team of freelancers and, you know, you can work that on a number of ways. You know, they don't have to subcontract for you know, one person, they, you know, you might be able to just go in on a project together. And, um, you know, that can work for clients, too, because I think I'm not, I never want to say anything, you know, really negative about agencies, because they there's a need for them, right? I mean, there's, there's a different um, scenario for which those are probably a better fit for bigger companies. And, you know, I've worked, I used to work for Adobe, I think they probably had three agencies or more, you know, at the same time. So, you know, in some cases, you need a big team and, and there are things that an agency brings that maybe a team of freelancers may not be able to bring. But I think that gap is closing. I mean, we have access to the same tools and technology now. Um, you know, I feel like it's just a good option to to keep in mind if you're looking at an agency, if you're doing an agency search, you know, maybe think about um, freelancers to um, supplement that or even to take the place of it. Right. Uh, another trend, uh, and this has been going on from day one, I would suppose, is writing. Strong writing will continue to be in demand. It, it really is um, the metaphorical equivalent to blood flow for communications, isn't it? I mean, here we're, we're doing a podcast, you and I, but this podcast episode started with writing. Well, yes, and you do a great job of that, I will say, Doug, as far as <laughs> preparing. That's what I wrote for you to say. That's yeah, good. Yeah, preparing for the podcast. Um, not everyone does that. So I, I kudos to you for that. Um, and, of course, the strength of your writing comes through in that communication. Um, and to me, writing is a cornerstone, a cornerstone of everything communicators do. Um, it, you know, they good writers can be really hard to find. And I just... Uh, you know, I cannot emphasize the importance of it enough for those entering the communications or PR field. I always talk about it when I give talks to college um, classes, for example, and things like that. I'm always talking about writing and I I know they probably get maybe tired of hearing about it, but it just couldn't be stressed enough because as much as we do talk about it, if you look at what agencies are hiring for, or looking for, employers are looking for, it is continually in the top um, you know, the list of the top skills they look for, but the ones that are hardest to find. Um, Seth Godin says that writing is a symptom of thinking. And I really like that because I feel like if you are able to bring your thoughts to the page, um, it just helps you work through so many things. And it's really just shows that you are a thinker. And I think that's, you know, every employer would want that, every client, every employer. Have you have you worked with 
comms pros, senior or junior, who they're just not good writers. Um, and, and were they successful in spite of it? Or was that really their Achilles heel? Well, I think, I think, A, yes, I have seen that. Um, it, it kind of shocks me sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, even just, I mean, even not even, I would say beyond like newer, younger pros. I mean, I see it across uh, all kinds of channels, even in professional publications, there are uh, there's writing that's confusing. There are typos. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's really, you know, there's so much more content now. I think that's part of the problem or part of the issue is that we see more mistakes because there is more content. But I notice it. And I think another problem there is that they've um, laid off the copy editors. You know, that's one of the first things I remember when I worked in a corporate job, even when we had a round of layoffs, that person, we had an editor in our in the PR department, and she reviewed everything we did. And they that was the first person they laid off. And I'm like, you know, that person's really valuable. Like, uh, you know, no matter if you are able to hire strong writers, you still really need somebody to look that copy over and make it better, you know, and, and catch mistakes, because mm -hmm. mistakes are expensive. Um, you know, they can be and we've seen like, confusing communication we've seen the issues that it causes i think you know you know not to keep talking about the pandemic but you know i know here in the the united states um you know the cdc is getting a lot of you know taking a lot of heat and because i mean it's it's not you know it's a complicated issue but part of the the problem has been just the the lack of clear communication um so i just feel like this doesn't get enough attention and it really just, we can't focus on it enough, really. And sometimes in the course of my work, someone brings up uh, that old myth about 93% of communications is nonverbal, uh, as in not to do with the words at all. And I have to think, you know, <laughs> here's why that's a myth. We would have evolved into mimes <laughs> if, that, if that were the case. Right. Um, at, at the same time with the writing, another trend is that audio and video continue to rise. Uh, now, as a podcaster, I'm, I'm most pleased with that. Yes. Well, and, you know, another uh, beyond beyond um, podcasts, Twitter Spaces has been such a great um, way for me to explore audio. I don't have my own podcast, um, which, you know, I just it's kind of a lack of time. And, and you know, it's I know it takes a ton of work. And so um, but but Twitter spaces has kind of allowed me to explore that a little bit. And um, I really would encourage folks to check it out if they have not. I know some people maybe started out on Clubhouse. Um, I kind of waited a little bit. And then I saw that Twitter was launching, you know, its own um, its own you know, clubhouse like feature with spaces. Exactly, yeah. And so that's kind of where I, um, you know, jumped on board. I, I got uh, when clubhouse was was emerging as all the rage, of course, I was all jealous because it's um it's a VIP thing, right? You had, to be, <laughs> you had to have an invitation. I got one. Eventually, I was excited because I'm I'm really pro audio, obviously. And I spent I, the so first few hours, I, I enjoyed it. Hey, that's a, there's a lot of audio there. Um, and, you know, within a week or so, um, I must say, and this is just my experience, I was bored with Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. I haven't dappled with Twitter spaces yet. 
Well, um, every Friday, we uh, I'm co-host of a um, space called uh, Pierre Lunch Hour. It's at noon Eastern on Friday. Right. And we invite, you know, everybody to to tune in and, you know, we, we give you the mic if you have something to share. And we talk about wins. We talk about um, PR fails of the week. We talk about hot topics. And it's been a really... Um, you know, I can't say how pleasantly surprised I have been by that experience. So definitely something to kind of keep an eye on and check out. Why audio? Why 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 are we attracted to audio? Is it because we're simply inundated with writing, newsletters, blogs, websites, my God, emails? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, I think, enjoy listening or watching. I am a reader. And so personally, I prefer to read and that is my go-to, but I know that I am probably in the minority. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like it, there is a lot on both, I mean, of, of all the content of written audio, video, there's, there's a lot. So I just feel, I still feel like to stand out in any, you know, platform, you kind of have to have those unique opinions that you share and you have to be able to start conversations and be able to contribute to conversations. And that's kind of the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. um, and for clients, I just really suggest that they do some research before they invest their time or budget into any channel, because otherwise they're just kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall. You know, they're just, just going to see what sticks and that's, you know, I guess it could work if you get lucky, <laughs> but it could also waste a lot of your time and money if you haven't really done your research. Right. And then video, it, it's not actually a news story. It's just so captivating. It really is trying to harness a lot of my senses at the same time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I get bored after maybe a minute if it's not really, really good. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, we look at TikTok and see, you know, the short videos uh, yes. are very, very popular. And, and that that platform has risen uh, very quickly to the top uh, of the heap there. But, um, you know, for example, I worked briefly with a client who had launched a podcast, but they didn't really do any research to understand what their objectives were what their audience was looking for. They just thought, oh, everybody's doing a podcast, so let's just do a podcast. And of course it's expensive. They paid to have it professionally produced. And um, this, I, I I kind of found, I was brought in after the fact. And so I was kind of like, wow, okay. <laughs> um, I don't know, you know, we'll have to see how this works out. But I think it was, you know, it was, you know, they, it was, it was clear that it was not well thought out. And that's just mm -hmm. the point that I would make is that even with TikTok, I don't think everybody needs to pop on TikTok either. So right. just, just think about it and do your research and, and focus. I mean, for heaven's sakes, don't try to do every single thing on every single platform. You just, I think that's, you know, where a lot of businesses fall down, especially small businesses. I see that with my clients and, um, you know, it's just hard to do it all and do it really well. Crisis communications. Um, I guess March 2020, all of a sudden, every PR pro around the world uh, hung a shingle as a crisis expert. Um, everybody seemed to know a lot about it. Uh, but the main message was you got to be prepared. There was a lot of that talk. Uh, we're, gosh, we're two years into this now. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. We're two years into this uh, uh, chapter of the Earth's life. And uh, are we living up to that promise? Are, are, are companies going or are they 
building and planning for crisis communications, as they we all said we would back in March 2020. I think that was a big wake up call, right? Yeah. Because um, I remember, you know, before that going into meetings that were, you know, I'd be talking to a prospective client about, um, you know, a product launch or PR effort of some kind. And I would kind of in the course of the meeting mention, you know, crisis communications. Do you, do you have a plan? Uh, have you thought about it? And they would look at me like, you know, why, why would we, <laughs> like they were confused about why they would need one. And I think now we see every business really needs to have at least a basic crisis communications plan in place. You know, like who would be the team that would be, you know, called immediately to talk through it. You need somebody from PR, you need somebody from legal, you know, of course, you're going to have the C-suite involved, you know, you're going to have HR, you know, you need to have the basics at least thought out. And then you need to revisit that every so often to make sure that um, based on, you know, whatever the current circumstances are that you have that up to date and you know, like if people have left or, you know, just need to have all the updated information, phone numbers, you know, email, whatever it needs to be in there. Um, Because if you don't and you're left kind of like, you know, in the lurch there, it can really be, detrimental if you're not ready to react and respond. And, you know, we just know that every company has been, you know, affected by the pandemic, for example. So, you know, you really just need to think about those things. Right. And and as long as COVID is in the headlines or even the sub headlines, um, then I can see companies following through on that. But let me ask you, the minute it's not in the paper, figuratively, <laughs> mm-hmm. the minute it's not in those headlines, is that one of the places companies cut. I mean, why spend money on crisis mm-hmm. comms when it's not popping up every day? That's a good point. Um, I, you know, in my, from, from, from my business, I don't, you know, count on that piece right. of it to, you know, pay the bills necessarily. To me, it's always, it's usually an add on because if a client gets in touch with me and they're already in a crisis situation, that's a whole different story. You know, that's a a different can of worms. So um, I feel like, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I do think that this has really put an emphasis on it. And I mean, even looking at like, issues like inflation or the supply chain, I mean, that's created some crises for businesses that were not expecting it. I have you know, clients in the manufacturing sector, for example, um, to produce products for for customers, they need stuff you know they they are affected by the supply chain slowdowns or bottlenecks or you know whatever you want to call it um mm-hmm. so i think it's going to cause companies to think differently about um a lot of things and hopefully they understand that you know just having um you know just a holding statement and just just even the basics i think that's just yeah important and and every consultant and agency should really be Reminding clients about that. And know the the process and best practices. Um, Last trend, measurement, uh, has always been important, but you feel this is a trend um, that's going to move toward a more holistic view of, of how we conduct measurement. Mm-hmm. Yes, I um, I interviewed Jana Burke. Um, she is with the International Association for Measurement and Evaluation of Communication, which is a very long, yeah, a long title. It's the AMEC uh, for short. And um, I talked with her and wrote a, an article for Muckrack about measurement because it's something I think that we 
as PR pros can struggle with um, and kind of proving our value. And I think a lot of times we kind of get left holding the bag. Um, if something, you know, if a campaign falls flat or something isn't successful, well, her point was that we really need to think about, you know, first of all, what are we measuring and why are we measuring it? And then, um, you know, kind of ladder up to a larger objective. It's not just PR out here as an island on its own. There are more pieces and parts in any campaign, hopefully. I mean, usually we can, I think we can agree on that. Um, but but her point was uh, one that I've kind of kept um, in mind because I think sometimes we're as PR pros afraid or, or hesitant to question, why are we doing this? You know, exactly what is the goal here? So I think just thinking more strategically, thinking like that, instead of just like being the, the you know, the person they call and, okay, go write this press release, you know, well, <laughs> why? Like, you know, what are we trying to get out of it? And, you know, what do we need to include in it? And how do we, how are we going to measure? Are we going to put a link, you know, a specific link that then we can see how many people click the link? Or, you know, what are we going to put in place to make sure we can measure the effectiveness of this effort? Wonderful. And Michelle, absolutely great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Doug. This is, you know, a lot of fun for me. So thank you. Likewise, likewise. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Michelle Garrett, you can email her at michelle at michellegarrett.com. It's also in the show notes. Her new website is one of the links in the show notes as well. So is Michelle's Twitter handle. By the way, you continue to be awesome on Twitter and now you've got credentials, uh, accreditation that shows you are. <laughs> You're one of the good voices. You can also participate in hashtag freelance chat, which you host, Michelle, as well as co-host of hashtag PR lunch hour. Those, those hashtag, those uh, hashtag chats, what do I call them? Uh, they're becoming really, that's another trend, isn't it? It really is. Um, I, I hope that people aren't sleeping on Twitter. You know, I see more <laughs> people kind of catching on to Twitter. And I think if you're in PR, you don't really have a, a good excuse not to at least check it out because there's there are a lot of reporters on there. You know, that's the first the reason I first, you know, started to, you know, participate yeah. in Twitter. But it's become a lot more than that. So, yes. Absolutely. Stories and Strategies is a co-production of JGR Communications and Podcasts That Pop. We're hoping you might leave a rating for this podcast on either Apple or Spotify. Reviews are also very welcome and you can connect with us on Twitter at comms underscore podcast. We're also on Instagram. More than anything else, if you liked this episode, would you do us a favor and tell just one friend? Thanks for listening.